We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 282. We are sitting here Sunday evening before the World Series game is going to start. And I promise we're not going to talk too much about the World Series because, frankly, I can't stomach it. I don't know about you, Scott. But uh, we are maybe five, six, or if this World Series is any indicator, nine hours away from just my worst nightmare. Yeah, it's the one that you could see coming from a mile away uh, after... Really, after Game One, I mean, I think a, a lot of people thought it was a it was a done deal before the series even started. I thought the the Dodgers had a chance, and it, they did honestly have some chances, and they just didn't take advantage of opportunities so far. But you know, whether it's a done deal when you guys are listening to this at this uh, uh, Monday morning or not, um, it feels like it is at this point. Because last night, if they were to win after that Puig home run, that would have been a game that they they absolutely should have won, and uh, and they did not. And oh, they, they had to win badly. that game. Yes. When you win the longest game in World Series history, you you burn the Red Sox game four starter Ivaldi. You have all the momentum going into game four to tie it. And they were two plus innings away from, from tying. It would have been that was it. That was the chance. Once the Red Sox came back, um, I woke up to I woke up Steve to Pierce. an MLB. Oh, of course, Steve Pierce, but an MLB alert that Chris Sale's motivation speech in the dugout turned yeah. the Red Sox series around. I'm like. God damn it, it's 8.45 in the morning and I want already want to puke all over myself. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's annoying. But, you know, I I got I got Steve Pierce crying with the in the post game, you know, like tearing up in the post game interview on the side uh, with uh, whoever whoever the I forget who it was doing the interview. But I'm like, dude, like talking about the fact that he grew up a Red Sox. It really makes me want to vomit. Um, the fact that <laughs> it's been, Steve Pierce, it's it's driving me nuts. I hate coupled I that with the fact he's a Yankees killer. Hit them all. Season. I just I just want it to be over. Right? Because we I know, just, like you said, it's been inevitable for some time now. And after the the Red Sox lost, uh, after the Yankees lost to the Red Sox in the ALDS, like I, I guess it can get worse. The Red Sox can win the World Series, and that's worse. But the Yankees season ending at the hands of the Red Sox, like that's that's an all-time low. That That's rock bottom. So so fine. Just add the cherry on top of the shit pie. I guess. But the uh, yeah, them, them uh, to me, them winning the World Series is worse. Than than uh, getting knocked out by them, getting knocked out by them, and then winning the World Series is way worse. Uh, because if they don't win the World Series, then it's like okay, they they beat them, they knocked them out, but you know this team probably wasn't going to go that deep. It's just the feeling that I think a lot of people had, and uh, and and they couldn't finish it either. Like Houston was supposed to fix was supposed to fix that, and they didn't. They laid a giant egg. Houston would have been the team that I think every Yankees fan would have been fine, yeah, winning again. Yeah, they they won last year. They were the defending champs. They're, they looked like they steamrolled Cleveland, and it was going to be a cakewalk for them, and it, it all just changed. Red Sox have gotten all the breaks, and I, I, I've been really annoyed by this year in the playoffs. I don't know if you have this feeling, too. Um, we always say that it's just about who's playing hottest at the time. That's the team that usually wins. But the more I watch these playoff games, I really think it's the team that makes the least amount of mistakes. Well, yeah, I guess, I, yeah. Um, the team and the coaching staff that does not make the that, that doesn't make the dumb moves, errors, pitching changes, well, it's also whatever the ones, it may be. But yeah, see, that's the thing. Like that's the one that doesn't make mistakes. But that's 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 really hard to to rely on and say that because it's it's kind of Monday morning quarterbacking it because the the pitching matchups. While if you're making a pitching change, like you don't know if it's a mistake. It doesn't really need to be a mistake. It just the guy just not. Not pitched well. That depends time. who you talk to. On, it depends on the situation. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. There's no doubt about it. But the the thing about this particular um, postseason, it's like, uh, you know, Cora's got just a, a golden nugget up his ass because everything he does works. It's yep. it's crazy. Even things that shouldn't work work. You know, and, like using Avaldi for six innings, going for broke when you're already up two zero in the series. That shouldn't work. That yeah, shouldn't well, be what you do. And, but and he using, did it, and it worked he's, out. He's doing kind of what. Well, not really. He's doing kind of what Houston started doing last year. Houston started using a lot of their starting pitchers as as relievers. But what well, he's that was doing by is, necessity because they right. didn't have anybody. And, and and you know, there's a similar situation here. Even though they're the guys who are coming out of their bullpen really aren't pitching badly, they're pitching pretty damn well. Um, but he's using guys that are supposed to start games. Also, like that Houston didn't do that. They just had uh, you know a, a bunch of guys and, and leftovers that they threw in the bullpen. But you know, Cora's using guys that are supposed to throw the next day or the day after that. And he's just like, whatever. And just throwing them um, at, at key situations and, uh, and then figuring out a starter the next time. It's, it's pretty crazy. I, I haven't really seen much like that. So um, there's, there's a bit of me like wanting to tip my cap to him because I think he's, he's doing some really creative things that are very interesting, but it's nauseating at the same time. <laughs> and on the flip side, you get yeah. Watching Kenley Jansen come in for a second time in a row, blowing it, just made me appreciate Mariano Rivera so much more. Just the luxury that we had for the entire 90s run, just not to worry about it. I know Mariano had a couple mistakes in the playoffs, 
But Jansen is supposed to be one of the best closers in baseball. He got a huge, massive contract before last season. And he had two opportunities in Game 3 and Game 4 to come in and shut the door. And he couldn't do it either time. Mm-hmm. Against Jackie Bradley Jr. and against Steve Pierce. Like, those aren't even the Red Sox good hitters. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, he definitely had the opportunity to come in and close the deal. And, and uh, just the, the long ball is killing the guy. Uh, he's got that... He's got that quote Mariano Cutter, even though it's not remotely close to it, obviously. But, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it makes you do uh, appreciate how good he was for such a long stretch, too. I mean, like, the guy was invincible for a very long time. How old was he, 40-plus? when he, What was the last, last year? Was he, four, he was over 40, was he not? Who are you talking about, Mariano? Rev, yeah. Was he yeah, 40, wasn't 42? he 42 in his last yeah. season? I think he was. 42, number 42. He was 43 in 2013. There you go. So, you know, the guy was uh, he uh, he swam in the uh, the Tuck Everlasting Pond. The the the, the what is it? The uh, Fountain of Youth. So he got it. What was Tuck Everlasting? Was that a book? It was a book. Yeah, he yeah. Tuck Everlasting was the guy who had like a fountain, of, a, 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 like a yeah, lake yeah, of yeah. youth or a fountain of youth or something. Um, <clears throat> any other thoughts about the World Series? Apparently, the ratings are down. No one's watching this thing. Oh, so the the moves like we were talking about this beforehand. We were talking about the uh, the sabermetrics and all these Dave Roberts moves that he's been making because he's been getting killed um, with the uh, like, especially last night when you look at what he did with Rich Hill, taking him out, bringing in another lefty after Hill was pitching very well, um, and and it just didn't work. And then for whatever reason, he just keeps bringing in freaking Ryan Madsen, who's done nothing but serve up on a, a platter home run balls at big situations every single time he's come in. Um, but the thing that's killing me is like some of these sabermetrics guys on Twitter are are just like this. There's a reason why people don't like the numbers and these numbers guys because they come up they come up with these these reasonings why why uh, why you know the moves that didn't work were correct. Right. Uh, that's they'll the never thing. never say die. Always 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 go down saying the move was right because the numbers said so. They're like the rats ass what your eyes say. They're like the captain of the Titanic. They're gonna go down with the ship even though you just slammed into an iceberg and it was clearly the wrong decision. Nope. The the metrics said it was the right decision. I don't care what just happened on the field. Yeah. Uh, he obviously he he had a, a bad day. But you know, talking about like um the fact that that there's there's an asinine argument out there that you should go with Rich Hill because his stuff looks good on a given day and like that's you're you're watching him deal and and you should keep him in because he's dealing no 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 apparently that's an asinine argument you don't do that because if you do that then that's how you lose games you're you're just you're just going with a guy until he fails and, and, and lets up all runs, why, why wouldn't you take him out before that? Because everybody can predict the exact moment when the, the guy's going to implode. It's like trying to, you know, when you're in the stock market, trying to catch the bottom or catch the top. It, it's not easy to do. It's not like it's the, the most telling signs out there. But you have to look at, at the indications that you have, how the guys are doing, um, your eyeballs and, and how he's throwing and, and the at-bats that they're having, and, and then make a, a move. Like, to me... I don't understand why he took him out and also brought in another lefty. It wasn't like it was a ready lefty thing. It was just, I don't want this guy. I want this guy because the numbers. Do you think there's somebody above Dave Roberts making the calls? Like we've no. been talking about with Aaron Boone. <laughs> I have not been saying that about Aaron Boone. I don't think any, anybody's doing that, especially in game for sure. Um, but no, it's, it's, you know, Roberts did this last year too. He's so freaking relying, reliant upon these numbers. 
Especially um, look at the games at Fenway Park, games one and two. He didn't play. He didn't start Muncie or Peterson because lefties were on the mound. And there's no way you can't make an argument that those are better players, regardless of the lefty righty matchup. Then uh, I don't even remember. I don't even know who he put in over them. But yeah. I don't think either of those two guys started either of those games. Yeah, I, I mean, some of the things just make you make you cringe, or at least make me cringe. Like I, I really do see and and appreciate sabermetrics. I have really a newfound appreciation for them since we've done this podcast, and I've been exposed to them more often uh, than I ever have been. And and uh, there's there's no doubt they serve a very very. Um, important role in baseball now and into the future. But my God, there are certain times in this game you have to look and feel and see and and just know in your bones the right move, whether the numbers say so or not. There are certain situations. And to me, when you're in a playoff and a World Series situation, you know, you're 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 you have the most pressure ever in the world on on you know each player at that at that point. You're not going to find numbers that are going to tell you how that guy's going to react in a given situation. I'm sorry, you're just not going to find those numbers. And if you're going on, if you're relying on numbers that are over a span of time, um, and, and say, you know, this is the move, uh, the percentages are with you. I'm sorry, but over a course of a season, I can understand that. But when you're in a in the in the in the heat of a moment of a World Series game, and you see something that's going against it, you either use your judgment based on what you're looking at. Or you just go by the numbers and don't have a mind at all. And uh, I got problems with that. I, I think in an ideal world, you'd have a manager and an analytics department and a GM and all that stuff that can blend both, right? But then you yes. get this gray area. And, and sabermetricians, metrics nerds, don't like that. They don't like gray area. They like right. black and white. And this is why they drive people insane. This is why people <laughs> don't like them. So it, it, you're never going to satisfy... A person who is a sabermetrician, uh, whatever they are, because they are always going to say the data will win. Right. But I rather have somebody in my dugout, in my front office, that understands all of the metrics, that can consume them and do whatever they want with them, but then also can apply them in the appropriate manner, whether he is watching what's happening on the field, knows a player's history can relate to players, all that stuff, can blend all that stuff, put it all into a pile, right? Yes. That's the hard part. There's no metric for that big pile in the middle. You just have to understand it. You just have to be there every day. Because otherwise, what is the point of having a a guy making those decisions? You could have a robot. You could have... A saber you could have a computer. You could have a computer. You could you could it, it doesn't could literally matter. be Siri. You yes. could have Siri on your iPhone managing the game. Pitching change. Yep. Siri will yeah, exactly. Siri will ping the umpire and a pitching change will happen. Hey Siri, <laughs> bring in the lefty to face the lefty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, it's 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 crazy. Uh but you know, it's just when you're looking at the data and I and I understand over over a period of time the data will win. It's hard to dispute that because it's there and it's it's hard. It's evidence. Um but when you're in a moment and and there's it's just it's different in the World Series the playoffs, it's just a different moment you know and and, and to me there's there's nothing that can gauge that um, that particular moment in numbers you have to use those numbers to to what you're like exactly what you were saying you have to use them to to make your best decision but you also have to feel this game out and in my opinion Roberts just did not feel he just he just. Uh, he made a decision based off the numbers, based off of what his reports had said, and that was it. Like, it was predetermined. So, and I think that's why we criticized Boone so heavily in those last two ALDS games, is because he was not 
he was not watching what was happening on, happening on the field yeah. as he was watching Luis Severino give up 110 mile an hour missiles all over the field. Yeah, he was going the opposite way. He's leaving the guys in too long. Right, and trusting Sabathia to get through a gauntlet of right-handed hitters when he should not have. So yeah. um, we, we may have criticized Boone all season for making the, the metrics move, and then in the end, he didn't do it. Well, you know, he was trying to steal some stuff. It's It's... He, he Boone went uh, the other way, I think. Like he he was trying, he got a little greedy in certain situations. You know, we're talking about the Severino and Sabathia when he tried to get a couple outs at the bottom of the lineup, and, and it backfired massively. And for whatever reason, he just kept letting them, you know, fail over. Everything and over it's again. like that gif when the dog is sitting in the middle of the burning room. Everything is fine here. Don't it's look, fine. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't look at. That, don't what look just at the bases happens, loaded right now. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that doesn't matter. It's fine. It's the bottom of the order. No problem. Right. We're going to turn this lineup over, and then I'm going to bring my guy in. Um, <clears> but yeah, that's a. Uh, that's that's my my big gripe, I guess, with this, with uh, with the with the sabermetrics is is the the big moments like this. You just you can't you can't wholly rely on them you just can't that kind of segues into uh some mlb news where brody van wagenen is the new mets gm that's been reported he is an agent he was the agent for Degrom. i think he was robbie cano's agent some other big name players so he's switching teams he's going to the management side of the business that's somebody who is going to uh have to figure out the the analytics as well as the how much money do i give player x player y player z yeah, he's going from the other side where he's trying to get as much money as possible. Now he's trying to, you know, talk down or uh, fit everything into a budget, which especially being the Mets GM, he's going to have to do that. Um, <laughs> hopefully the money is there when he does offer those contracts. But, you know, he's got a very different situation. It's, it's, it's unique. I think it's interesting to see that an agent does flip and go the other side um, and, is able, and now is, is going to be in charge of constructing the players on a team when this guy was really trying to get as much dollar and, and, you know, everything he was doing was in the best interest of his client, the player. And now it's reversed. Clearly he, this is something he wanted to do. It's, it's a career move. He wanted to be a GM versus be uh, an agent. And that's fine. Like, I think, I think that anybody can respect that. But uh, I was listening to, the Michael K show this week and they had Scott Boris on and Scott Boris was pretty clear cut about this Brody Van Wagenen basically betraying his clients. This is a complete betrayal of their trust. And, uh, he kind of shunned him for, for this move. Well, he's going to shun him because it's going to be a very difficult negotiation. He knows all the, he knows all the tricks. He, he's, he's the guy he that's ins- been doing He has it. inside, information. He's got inside one of, information. One of his biggest players is, is DeGrom, and he's on that team. And six months ago, we were talking about if the Mets are going to either trade or extend uh, Jacob DeGrom. Van Wagenen was, was uh, out there campaigning for a six, seven-year deal for DeGrom. And now what's he going to do? Is he going to put up or shut up? This is it's going to be very interesting. It's fascinating. I, I, don't know if, actually. I don't know if this helps them or really hurts them. The Mets? Uh, oh, oh it, it's the Mets. It'll hurt them. But I'm saying it like as, as far as negotiations, like obviously he knows what what uh, Degrom wants. Um, so but now he's got to look to see the owners. Fits. The owners still have to write the checks. So yeah, he's got to see if it's in the trick. Then Wagonin can say, "I want to give Jacob Degrom 150 million dollars," and it's still up to the Wilpons to say yes or no. So right. Yeah, it's interesting. It'll it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm glad the Mets did this. It'd be like a nice fun experiment. <laughs> it's, nice, it's a nice experience. Nice. Let yeah. them be the guinea pigs and not somebody yeah. else. <laughs> um, speaking of 
just ridiculous money Bryce Harper bidding will apparently start at $350 million. 10 years, 35 mil per year, which is kind of what we said a couple years ago for, for Harper and Machado. I expect Machado to be right in the same category because they're the same age. They are still only 26 years old. That boggles the mind because I feel like both have been around forever. $35 million a year for 10 years is, I think, going to be... I think teams will give them that. I think that will happen. Whether it's the Yankees to Machado or to Harper or somebody else, I think both or at least one will get that contract. I don't know. It's... um. If you remember the the early rumors were ten years five hundred million. It was something that, like, but that was after that wasn't recent though. That was kind of like after no, was, wasn't that was, after two Harper's, years ago, I think. Harper's MVP year? Yeah, people was, were like, all right, let's get stupid. He was definitely on a high at that point, but yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Um, the the ten years three fifty. I mean, they're going to go in there, obviously asking for the moon, and and they'll see where where people are, and uh, he'll he'll probably get something close to that. I, I really hope the Yankees don't do it. I really hope the Yankees don't don't go in with a, a ten year deal. Like I was talking about a couple people on Twitter. I'm like, I don't want this guy. This is this is the you know I was um God forbid I put out a batting average for a postseason stat. Um, What's for, batting average? Honestly, I saw it and I was like, ooh, this is a terrible number. Let me tweet this out. Um, but the, uh, you know, to me, it's it's just too rich for the for the for what we're, you're getting at that point. When you're looking at like a ten year, three hundred fifty million dollar contract, you got to be if he's got to be the guy, right? Like to me, he's got to be the guy. And there's there's got to be other ways that they're going to be making up a lot more of that money too. To like him coming to New York is, um, I mean, it would be a big deal, no doubt about it. But there's it's not his team. It's it's Aaron Judge's team. So I, I that's that's the other sticking point to me. And and Stanton's here for ten years. So we, there's already guys here that are established uh there's there's control of the team you know within the clubhouse so he'd be kind of like coming in to join the party and and i don't know if that's what he wants i feel like he wants to be the guy um and he would not be that in new york but think about the the teams that would be willing to pay him that yeah the cubs the red sox the uh dodgers i don't even know if there's any other teams is it would would harper be the the man on any of those teams? No. Yeah, I mean, it would. Uh, the I, I, L.A. I think he could get close. I think he definitely could. I mean, who, Bellinger would be the other guy, but Bellinger Se- Seager will be back next year, and Seager was, I think, going to be the guy. Yeah, but I don't, I still don't. I don't think he's he's not to that level. You know, he's not Bellinger. We thought after maybe the the um uh the rookie of the year stint. But yeah, and he's a nice player, but he's definitely not like. He's not a Bryce Harper type guy. I feel like, I feel like uh, Harper could walk into that clubhouse and, and and run that show. But Turner is kind of like their emotional leader. He's not their best player, but he's Turner's not a not a not like a, a he's not like the team is his though. He's definitely one of those guys that I, I see what you're saying as far as like an emotional like yeah. he's he's the 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 guts of the of the team, but he's not like the marketable guy for the team. And you can't really Maybe call Puig. it a starting pitcher, right? Not you can't give it to Kershaw because can a starting pitcher be the team leader can he be i think kershaw probably is at this point he's probably the most marketed guy out there i would say at this point okay. puig is puig's got like both you know jekyll and hyde so i feel like there's a um a, i'd like to get into the minds of dodgers kind of fans i feel like he's a very polarizing figure for for dodgers puig? fans you either love him or hate him yeah puig 
Yeah, because there was there was some time where he was terrible, and it seemed like it was because and he, he was, wasn't. He was dogging it on some yeah, plays, was, and when it's like he's not happy. If if Puig, <laughs> Puig's not happy, Puig won't play. You know, it's like the guy's got to be. Uh, but then he flashes the talent, and you're like, oh shit, I forgot. Yeah, Puig's yeah. pretty good. There's Bo Jackson inside him somewhere. You know, like he's a freak of an athlete, right? Um, but he does some really dumb shit too. The uh, so I I feel like L A could be a, a good place for for him to go. But in there Chicago's kind of not. That's Bryant's team or Javi Baez's team or. I don't, I don't see Chicago getting him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think L A is the. So then, the what team's going to give him ten years? I mean, what other team out there is going to be willing to do that? That's my thing. I I have I I think it's going to be a little more difficult than than I think you you think. If if I'm if I'm him, what I would do is I would go for a five-year contract and go for something stupid. Like the fact that he's asking for three, 35 million a year for 10 years. I just, I don't see that, that AAV happening. I don't see anybody's going to give him that much money for, for that long. Um, but I do believe he could get 35 to 40 million if he went for like a five-year contract. Five so and then he's the Le- 31 LeBron years old, approach. do it all over again. Yeah. Take the LeBron approach, get, uh, just pick where you're going to go every three years, be the mercenary, but it's so different in baseball. Well, yeah, but this is a, this would be a five year deal, and then at thirty one, you're you go for you go for the the jugular at that point because at thirty, um, Joey Votto got a ten year deal. Uh, he he might have been thirty one. He was thirty thirty one at that point. Got a ten year deal Cano from the Reds. Too. Yeah, and Cano. So th- there's there's a precedent of of A-Rod. guys getting ten year <laughs> deals too. in your early thirties. And a guy like Bryce Harper, you know, God forbid any injury, it's it's a gamble because you have to stay healthy. But he could make a, a ton more money if he did that. Yeah, so it would be uh, it'd be interesting if I'm unless do you think it's important to him to have the richest contract of all time? Maybe he he seems like he's that kind of guy. Well, that's something that uh, that strikes me as something Scott Boris would feed into his head. Like that's on the first PowerPoint slide of of the presentation in in Scott Boris's offices when Bryce Harper's sitting there is you are going to be the richest Major League Baseball player of all time. Yeah, I guarantee you that's how he sold a Rod. A-Rod just you can manipulate the fuck out of his mind. <laughs> if you do a if you do a five year deal though at like thirty five to forty million, like that to me is is probably a lot more doable from especially the 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 Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers of the world, Cubs of the world because of the contract and like the money doesn't really matter as much at that point. But um, you know, you still Boris still going to get paid a shit ton of money on that contract. And well, let's not worry about Scott Boris's dollars. Well, no, and cents. my I point is is that Boris. Okay. My point is, is that Boris. You know, I, I think could be okay with a deal like that because he's probably he's actually going to get his uh, money sooner. Like he he would be getting, uh, you know, a good chunk of that. Change. How does that work though? Does it just get a percentage up front of the total contract, or is it a yearly thing for agents? I I think it's I think it's uh it's around two percent is is my understanding, and there's a guaranteed check, right? So guaranteed money comes to you, and I believe depending on how the contract is, that's a sum. Um, 2% of that check. And then when the checks are cut, I think it's a 2% uh, fee each time. So I do believe it goes with the contract. So it goes with the contract. I guess that gives incentive to the agent to stay with the player to do any sort of marketing for them or whatever right. they're going to do because otherwise you sign a guy to a 10-year deal and then you just dump him. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like... Uh, yeah, because that would happen probably more often too. Okay, um, so... so It goes the other way too. I mean, like the fact that if you're not doing well and, and you're not getting... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how 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 it's worked with a, a contract with a player if uh, he dumps his agent in the middle of a deal, but he's the guy who negotiated that contract. I'm not sure how that works. If you if you guys are listening and you know more about these contract stuff, let us know. <laughs> I'd be I'd be more interested. 
If you have not been able to tell so far, we are talking out of our ass. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so you, you played GM last week. We both played GM last week. We each said no to Machado and Harper. Yep. Would you say yes to a five-year, 35 or $40 million contract for either of those players? Um, I, I would definitely consider that, yeah. I would consider so the years if it was, if are it was more of an issue year. for you than yes. the money. Oh, a thousand percent, definitely. You don't want to be. I don't want to get stuck. But you're only stuck with the player. Usually, when you sign a guy for ten years, you're basically signing up to him until he's thirty-nine or forty. For Harper Machado, you're only signing up for him until thirty-six, which in theory should still be in their good years. Well, you know, technically, when we're talking about those contracts that were aging, that are like thirty-nine, forty, like. That was in a time when they were taking some some extra things to get them going. Like uh, thirty five to thirty six seems about right to start hitting your your end. Like there's there's not a ton of guys that that are like extremely productive, um, you know, well after thirty six. I don't know. It's well, the we already have 36. one of those guys on the team that's Stan, who's twenty eight this year. He's going to be thirty eight when that contract expires. Yeah, and the last two to three years of that contract are going to be ugly. <laughs> <laughs> depending it's on who fact. you talk to you might th- you might think it's ugly already yeah there's a lot of people out there hating Stan. oh god like, Stan, like i insanely hating him I, I, the anyway. amount of of arguments i get in about Stan because i'll tweet something negative about Stanton and people will automatically think I, I say he sucks and that's not what i'm saying but then someone will come at me and be like oh he was st- statistically our best player and that's just false just because right. he had the most home runs and rbis does not make him the best player on the team no, he he definitely went through spurts as well. He was very streaky, um, but you know, look, you're gonna you're gonna the t- the end of a, a ten year deal like that. It's just it's not gonna be not gonna be great. But for these guys, it's ten years is a long time. So there's so many things that can happen within a ten year span, and that's the other that's the other problem. Like if there's an injury, these are all guaranteed contracts, so it doesn't matter. I mean, look what happened with freaking Ellsbury. He just started sucking out of the blue. It's not like he got like total ancient. He just wasn't good. <laughs> well, he, he also just. He just couldn't stay healthy, and he had so many injuries that just kept compiling. So right, so so those are you have to take that into consideration. Like, what if that does happen? Then you're stuck with a guy for ten years. I would much rather pay more money for five years and and run the risk of, um, you know, the guy staying healthy and paying him more more of a premium for for good years and knowing that he's got a, he's going to play for another contract afterwards. So there's an incentive there to to do well and and. You know, you're not you're not getting the the Odell contract, and then all of a sudden you're uh, you, you hate water. Well, you know, I think, it's yeah. like <laughs> it's squishy. It's squishy in my tummy. Yeah, I think so, that's what we're seeing with some of these opt outs. You yeah. front load it, so you incentivize the player to um, opt out after X number of years because they're not going to be getting the same AAV. Right, like JD Martinez is going to opt out. Yeah, he's going to make a ton of money. But it's, the Red Sox maybe walk away from him, and then they're going to get two years of MVP level numbers from him. Right. I mean, no. It. I mean, honestly, that deal that the Red Sox made, that Dombrowski made, was fucking genius. And I and I hate. As soon as I saw it, and I saw the opt out, I'm like, God damn, that's going to really work out well for them. That's you know, these are going to be three painful years. The only way that he does not opt out is if he suffers some catastrophic injury in the final season. Right, because the numbers. I mean, the um, I forget what it's. He's certainly not making, or he's making a ton. Uh, he, it's, the first it's, three front and then it's it's front loaded. It's front loaded. It's front loaded. So 
I mean, I he's also a little are. bit older, right? He's going to opt out. If he opts out, like if he has a year, like if he continues having right years now. like this, if he continues having years like this and he gets through his opt out, it, based on what he's doing production wise, he's going to opt out because he's got another. So he's got know, multiple opt outs. Yeah. So he can opt out after 20, right? After 2019. Oh, 19, really? After 2020 and after 2021. He can opt out every year. The first three years, he makes $23.75 million, And then in the last two years, he makes $19.3 million. So it goes down a little bit. But say he, he after next year, he puts up another monster year. He's opting he, out. How old he is he? Banked, he banked close to $50 million. And he can opt out again. It'll be 31. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, this is what uh, LeBron, like Daryl Reed. Darrell Rivas was doing this in the NFL. Like that guy was just a mercenary going from team to team, signing one-year deals. I mean, it's different in the NFL, but um, you're basically signing one-year deals in the NFL anyway, right? But he was really doing it. <laughs> he was he was taking huge dollars for it. Um, but the you know like that's that's how you make a lot of money. You got to be healthy. That's the thing. You, it's a gamble, but you're gambling on yourself. And to me, like a guy he's that's not gonna, been the healthiest guy though. He's had some injury issues. Then that that held up the contract reportedly was his knee. Who are you talking about? Martinez. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's healthy. I mean, I mean, he's. I mean, th- that was, that's all. That's all nonsense. Like that's all. That's all stuff that was in the paperwork of a of a physical or something. You know, like it, it was a long and drawn out, and I think it felt like it was worth a, a bigger deal to all of us. We're like, yeah, it's hilarious because he's gonna be have knee problems, and then no, he's a freaking MVP. <laughs> well, we didn't realize he was gonna hit three forty with like forty yeah. bombs. So and he's not hurt at all. So you know, it's just like it's semantics at that point. I think it's just more of a negotiation ploy than it really was. The the, the player was injured, so I don't know. Like if he does this right, he will make a ton of money, uh, and more than a guy that would sign a, a ten year deal. I think it's very based on so it's a couple of factors with these things. It's based on the market at the time. The market right. last year dictated that he had to take that contract. I'm sure he would have preferred to take five guaranteed years at twenty four million a year. That wasn't out there. So he had to take this instead. Um the market will dictate for Harper and Machado, and also the player will dictate for them. Do they want to bet on themselves or do they want to just have security? Well, see, they're in a they're in a unique situation in the sense that if they were to go for like a, um, you know, a five year deal or something like that, they're still going to be in their prime, you know, when they come back out. So right. they're they're really in the driver's seat in that sense. So in that in that way, so the gamble on themselves is um, that's where really, you might get really a pay off eight or a nine year deal with an opt out. Oh uh, yeah, at the at the five year mark or something at the like five year mark opt out. So front loaded for thirty million for the first five years. Yeah, and then twenty two million for the last four years. Opt out after five. So the, it's up to the player. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go? So I could see that if there if there was a a longer deal and it was and it was loaded like that. If it was loaded where it would essentially be a five year deal. I mean, it's kind of what I'm talking about. It's just a, a different way of putting it. Um, and there was a player opt out for at that point. Um, it would be different, but the thing is, the the team is still on the hook for you know whatever the if if he's injured and does he's stay injured. In, yep, that's that's the uh, that's the rub. It spreads out though the the luxury tax number because at that point the way I understand it is you ba- you divide the total by the years and that's what your each year luxury tax number is. Yeah, I mean it's a gamble both ways, you know. So a deal like that, there's there's a gamble for the player. Um, 
not really, but kind of, uh, if it's a player opt out, it's really, he's in the driver's seat, but the team at that point is, is betting on that. He's going to stay healthy. And if he does stay healthy, then they're going to get the five best years or four best years. Um, and then, you know, if he's, if he's at that point where he's, he's really playing well, then he's going to opt out and the team makes out. But on the other end, if he doesn't and he gets hurt or he's, you know, production wise goes down, then the team's going to be on the hook. So it's a, it's a big gamble for the team. And you remember with Cano where a reason he did not take the Yankees offer was because he felt like it was an insult. Oh, it was insulting. Big time. Right. So seven years, 180 million was insulting. I think it was eight years, wasn't it? Wasn't it eight years? I don't remember if it was seven or eight. It was seven or eight years, but yeah, it was. Uh, but he the, was insulted by his team, the Yankees, not offering him the most money and the most uh, years. Right. This will not be the case with Machado and Harper because I don't think the Nationals are going to be the top bidder for, for Harper. And Machado's now changed teams. The Orioles are obviously not going to be in it. And maybe the Dodgers will, but is he really going to feel um, offended by the Dodgers, the team he's only played for for half a season? Yeah. So we were when we were talking about the um when we were talking about the Bryce Harper thing and we were talking about the other teams, the uh I, I wasn't even thinking about the Nationals. But the Nationals the Nationals have uh, an opportunity to sign him. They they absolutely do. And and if you remember, um the uh the, what was it this it was the option. They gave him an option a couple of years ago and they also they also signed his brother. Like they did a couple of things that were like glad handing, like tried to like, lure him in. Yeah. yeah, and and I, I think a couple of years ago when they when he signed this option or they extended him for I, don't, I forget the exact situation, but I was like, oh, this feels like a like, hey, we're gonna help you out now. We're gonna do this. We don't have to, but we're gonna do it. Uh, remember this, and you know the the owners of the uh, the Nationals are some of the richest owners in baseball. Like they have more money than the majority of owners. They're they're very very well off and and doing very well. Um, they could offer him a shit ton of money. They could absolutely do it. If they wanted to keep him, they could keep him. So I, I do think that that's, um, that's, that's probably one of the, uh, one of the you know, it's going to be one of the big storylines. Does he stay there? Because they can give him the money. It's the matter of, do they want to give him the money? And that's the, clearly his team. So if you're talking about him being that's the guy, his team. he's the guy there. Absolutely. That's his team. He also feels like the kind of guy that would want to um, – stay with one team. I could see him doing that. Like he wants to be remembered. I, I think his legacy is important to him. And if you stay with the one team, the nationals, you know, being like, he would be the, the guy. And really in the franchise Mr. history, nationals. he would be the guy. Yeah. Um, what do you think is more important to him though? That and his legacy or how many, how much money he makes? Well, I mean, I think it'll be, it'll be right there. And they have to, they would have to pony up for sure. Do they have to be the top bidder? I think it has to be very close. I think yeah. if you, I, I don't think he's going to scratch over a couple million though. You know what I mean? Like it's if it was a significant gap, then I at think that it, point, that would at be that a point, breaker. what does it matter? Yeah, exactly. So you're you're making if you if you bring Bryce Harper back as the Nationals, you know you're you're bringing back your guy. You're you're signing your guy. To me, that's that's also, you know, a a, a good move for the Nationals long term because you know you're going to be bringing him back for ring of honor stuff or what hall of fame. Like there's a million things that you could do with Bryce Harper then for the rest of his life. And you're going to be banking off of uh, Bryce Harper forever. You know, and they're point. still so, trying to win in the next couple of years with Scherzer and yeah. Strasburg, if he can ever be healthy. So he won't be <laughs> okay. So with Scherzer, who's maybe the second best pitcher in baseball, 
right now. He's not going to be that forever. So yeah, and they have they have um, Soto in left field. Uh, they have uh, Trey Turner and shortstop. They have they have young pieces there that could do. I mean, they have young pieces. And Harper's not old, no as we just said. And Harper's not old. So there's there's places that they can build around. It's not like that's a, a they had a bad year. There's no doubt about it. Um, but they they have uh, the the ability. And again, they have money. They could spend. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. All right, we're going to get into mailbag questions just quickly. I want to mention for everybody out there listening who has not rated and reviewed the podcast, go and do that right now. So, Scott, remember when we scalded listeners? Yeah. A couple, you, sc- like, you scalded them. I scalded them. It worked. We got a couple of reviews. Somebody actually said, I'm only leaving this review because I got yelled at by Scott and Andrew. It was still five stars. By, That's okay. It's fine in my book. So, so if, uh, if anyone out there listening has not given us a rating and review yet, what the hell are you waiting for? Like, there are enjoy, people that have enjoy the podcast. Go, go there are people that have have mentioned that like I've been listening to you guys for two years, and I'm just now leaving this. Well, there's really no excuse for that, honestly. We <laughs> we you know we record this show every single week, and during this season twice a week. Just hook us up, and every day Please. after a postseason game. And, and had day. the Yankees been in the World Series and played 18 innings, you and I would have been there at six o'clock in the morning recording a podcast out of our freaking minds, hating my life. <laughs> hating my life I would have been ruined for a week but <laughs> no, I wouldn't have had time because there would have been a game the next day this season is that we didn't have to do that <laughs> um, so again guys it really does help us out uh, we are making a joke of it but it's uh, in all sincerity it helps us out a ton uh, for visibility for all that stuff uh, people who are looking for new podcasts to listen to if they see five star ratings and reviews they are going to listen that allows us to create more shows and all that good stuff. So go ahead, give us a rating and review. Also, submit mailbag questions. We're going to be doing mailbags each week or most weeks throughout the offseason. Go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast, or you can send us a tweet at Yankees Podcast and join the Facebook group. Post your questions there. The Bronx Pinstripe Show on Facebook. <clears throat> First up, Patrick Mellet at Mellet underscore Patrick on Twitter. Do you think moving Gary to first base would be a good move for him long term i think it could help extend his career by not having thousands of reps behind home plate keeping him healthy should be important with how good he is with the bat also solves our long-term first base problem what are your thoughts on sanchez as the first base savior uh no thank you this is um this is something that we've we've definitely gone down this rabbit hole before but um but let me say yeah we didn't do it recently. We did it last year when Gary Sanchez had still a monster year behind the plate. He didn't have a monster year behind the plate this year. He was a problem behind the plate this year. You're talking about defensively. So, and uh, offensively. And offensively, yeah. Uh, so there's there's the rub. I mean, the rub is is that he's uh, usually, <laughs> I can't even say this anymore, There's there, he's usually, he's supposed to be a you know plus-plus offensive catcher. And when you have offense coming from the catcher position like that, it's a it's it's something that you don't see very often, and it becomes a premium. If you move that same offense to first base, well, then it becomes you know a little bit more standardized because you're seeing that level of production from first baseman across the league. Uh, so his value, if you're talking about offense and and correlating a position to it, is certainly behind the plate uh, because that means you can have another first baseman that's theoretically productive as a first baseman with power and all these things. Um, plus, you know, 
I'm just off of it now because if he can't learn a position, he can't do well a position that he's been playing his entire life. I just don't have confidence in him going into playing a new one and and doing well with that. So it'll just be another complaint area of him going over there and playing bad defense at first base. He's 25. Um, I was trying to think of comps catcher-wise who was moved to first base um, to to save their careers, and Maurer came up. And he was 31 when he went over to first base. And that was more based on injury. Like, that was him not staying healthy. Also, I think the the Twins felt we signed this guy for a long-term deal, eight years. We want him to be as productive with the bat as long as he can. And the funny thing is, he went to first base, and he wasn't the same player offensively. So they had kind of like a pretty good hitter playing first base when they had a really good hitter catching. Well, so I mean, it really his, didn't work out well at all for the Twins. He played first base full-time in 2014. That was his age 31 season. You still have Gary Sanchez at 25 years old. Yeah. He's still in his athletic, <laughs> in quotes, his athletic prime. Right. No, I, I mean, I want Gary Sanchez to improve behind the plate because we've seen when, when he can play well. And honestly, by watching some of these catchers in the postseason, kind of makes me feel a little bit better, honestly, when I, when I look at the, uh, the oh, defense. Oh, Grandal has been horrible. Been really, really, really bad. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, I think I, I've said this before. I think that Gary Sanchez can absolutely fix a lot of these things, and, and it takes an offseason to do it. So I do hope that he's working his ass off in the offseason uh, and uh, is going to clean up a lot of these things. But if the guy's hitting like he can hit, and, and you're seeing some of the, uh, you're still seeing some of these pass balls, but you're also seeing the cannon of an arm, there's going to be a give and take. And I will complain about it every single time because it drives me nuts. But I understand that there's a give and take. I'll still complain, but I understand that there's a give and take. And I know where his value is, and it's a catcher. Cashman was on with Michael Kay, and he said, We know what he's, referring to Sanchez, capable of doing. And I'm already getting phone calls, to be honest, from clubs trying to knock on our door to see if he's available. And he's not. He will be our catcher. So some sneaky, sneaky GMs are calling up Brian Cashman saying, hey, you want to sell low on your all-star catcher? Yeah, he's like, that's my move. What are you doing here? I, <laughs> like, you, can't, you, cannot, you cannot pull my you're, move. You're pulling the it's not you, it's me move? Yeah, yeah. You don't stop short with me. This yeah. is not happening. No, Brian Cashman understands that. He could smell it a mile away. Oh, why is... Why is Billy get Billy off the phone? Just hang up on him. Tell him not even to call me again until the trade deadline. But every team in Major League Baseball would love to take Gary Sanchez' uh, problem off of the Yankees and Brian Cashman's hands. Absolutely. I mean, look, he had a horrible year. There is no way to sugarcoat it. He knows it. Everybody knows it. So all he now now he he understands that he's he uh, hopefully he could develop a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. You know. Uh, it's it's Gary Sanchez versus the haters, and he's going to come out and prove everybody wrong and prove that he is uh, the guy that we we all thought he was going to be. So I, I, I still believe that that's going to happen. I, I do believe he's going to be a productive player uh, for the Yankees for a long time, and the offense is going to come back. Uh, because to me, that's one of the, the biggest thing. Like, that offense has to come back for him to have the value. It, you know, if we're just looking at him as a, um, a, a catcher with a, a very mediocre offense, then, then we got problems. But if the back can come back, and even in the first half, like you know, all the traditional numbers we saw were not good. The eye, when you look at the the back of his bat, uh, his baseball card didn't look good, but he was productive. Uh, so that's he, the power was there, and he was he was productive. He was driving in runs, and and he was doing things that he needed to do. And he was he was getting a bit unlucky because he was hitting hard ball uh, balls hard just at people. How much do you think his struggles offensively affected him? 
defensively and vice versa. It's hard to say. I think the frustration definitely, he gets frustrated. He Don't wears you, yeah, it. I was just going to say, he is a type of guy who lets frustration get to him, whereas yes. Aaron Judge won't let frustration get to him. Right. You could Well, it looks like he does for sure. I mean, and, and by the, the way he produced in after situations that were stressful, it, it kind of, you know, it, it alluded to the fact that it did bother him and, and he took it behind the plate if he was struggling at the plate or he took it, um, you know, to the plate if it, if it was, uh, if he was struggling defensively. So yeah, I, I think it does affect him. Um, and I think that goes, goes to his, you know, maturity as a, as a player. I think that's one of the, the areas that he's got to improve on. He's got to improve on staying in that baseline and, and just staying in the moment and, and just, you know, being, being him, being El Gary. And it, it snowballed on him. He hit 186. Batting average doesn't matter, but it matters when you're hitting 186. <laughs> yeah. It matters <laughs> right, when it's right? convenient. Right. <laughs> no, it's not convenient, but that sticks out like a sore thumb. Like yeah. he hit 186. He's not a 186 hitter. I'm sure every day he looked up the scoreboard and saw 186 and said, what the hell? Do they, do the baseball cards have different stats on the back now today? I haven't looked at a baseball card. <laughs> WRC plus and uh war. They do. And no, I don't know. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm wondering like if maybe they do. when when uh, Kemp and my future son take over this podcast in 20 years, they will yeah. not even know what batting average is. <laughs> right. Say our dads used to talk about batting average. Now yeah. Old it's bastards. all about VORP. Remember VORP? Yeah. <laughs> It'll be B whips. B whips will be a real thing. <laughs> hey, good. That'll be my legacy. I'm Finally. fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. If B whips is my legacy, I'm good with that. Can we get the stat nerds on that, please? Yeah, seriously. Can they do something that? Is productive for us. <laughs> oh, by the way, I had a question for you. You brought up Joe, Ma- Joe Maurer. Are you now kind of a Closet Twins fan? Because of Rocco Baldelli? Baldelli, yeah. You're a uh, you're Rhode Island guy. I never was a, a Twins hater, considering the Yankees treated them like little brother their entire right. my entire life. So, yeah, go Twins. Didn't he say something about sabermetrics? He said something about that, that the numbers are killing the game. He said it in a in one of his interviews. I didn't hear that. Rocco did. Well, yeah. I mean the, the uh, Kevin Cash and the the Rays bullpenning single handedly killed the game this year. So, yep, he's apparently not a, not a fan. The a lot of the Rays coaching staff got some interest from from teams this year because they saw oh it's like a Rays virus they're going to spread. Yeah, it's no, it's well, the all reason, the Joe Madden guys and the Kevin Cash guys now are going to explode all over the league, and it's just going to be a a, a a freaking league full of bullpenning bullshit, shifting, and all this other nonsense. It's 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 a it's a virus and it's spreading. Um, Rocco Baldelli, I think, might be. Oh no, you know, actually, Joe Madden's from Rhode Island as well. Well, there you go. You got two of them, and so is Paul Konerko. <laughs> you want to keep going? We could we could list the Rhode Island Hall of Fame here. Yeah, I think Joe Madden was born in uh oh, he's born in Pennsylvania, but there was something about he spent some time as a kid in Rhode Island. But uh yeah, Kernerko, Kernerko sounds, and Baldelli from Rhode Island. Um okay. all right, let's move on. What's the next question? Next one is from uh Esteban Ortiz. He's at E Ortiz 06. Not saying I want this to happen, but let's say Yankees get Machado. I would assume it would be in the third base position. Do you see them trying Andujar at first base, maybe outfield? Or uh, would he have to be traded? So that's um, if they sign Machado, I'm only okay with it if it's third base. If you want to say shortstop until Didi comes back, I-, I could live with it. But I still rather him be full time third baseman because that's where he's strongest. Right. No, I agree with that. I would, I would absolutely uh, want him to be the third baseman. Um, 
certainly because Didi. Uh, but I, I understand what what kind of a year it is for ne- for next year for Didi. It's it's uh it's of the utmost importance for the Yankees and for especially for Didi to get back as early as he possibly can because it is um, uh, an important year for his contract. So he needs to be there and he needs to be productive. Um, but yeah, Andujar is a much better third baseman than he is a shortstop. And uh, Machado. that's uh, uh, Machado. Sorry, and uh, that's that's where you. That's where you want the guy to be long term. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to move him around a ton. Um, but again, if there's an injury and you're going to play him there for a, a short time, him and Glaber maybe going back and forth, I'd be I'd be fine with that. And if you're paying a guy thirty million plus a year, you don't want him to be sucking defensively, right? And you know when you're doing when you're uh, when you're looking at Andujar, then if Machado, let's just assume Machado's signed and let's assume he's playing third base, um, Andujar then is um, is. Definitely a piece that Cashman could move. I mean, it's it's there. It, it could happen. Uh, but I do think that he could go over and play first base. Uh, and uh, he's obviously a valuable bat. So, and, and I know you don't want to, you know, fill the DH position with a, a young guy and a guy that's going to be there all the time. Um, but it's a it's an option to if you want to keep him. If you don't get the value for him, uh, it's it's certainly an option to keep him on the team. I think you'd see him getting time at first base. In, I, th- I mean, I think that would be the, I think the logical. Start working do. on first base as soon as Machado signs on the dotted line, and then we'd see it in spring training. Um, I'm sure it'd be ugly at first, but, but if he's hitting, you could live with it at first base, just like you lived with it at third base, and then hopefully he can progress. At least he doesn't have to throw at, at first base as much, right? Because that was the biggest issue was his throwing. He took forever to throw the damn ball, and he didn't have much range. But it's not as much of a factor at first base as it is at third base. Yeah, if he's at first base, then the left fielder just understands that he's he's backing up uh second baseman high alert high <laughs> on alert double play balls <laughs> yeah, yeah on double play balls anything like Giambi. Giambi couldn't on. throw either and he he, he was yeah. able to he could pick it though at first base he could Giambi could catch the short hop just if he had to throw to second base it looked like he was a girl throwing strong mustache strong mustache <laughs> next question is from hernan b canton at hernan underscore barkello Actually, hold on. Before before we read this one, I, I just thought of something. And I'll, I'll forget it if I don't say it. Um, the outfield was mentioned in that too. Do you think there's any possibility of uh, of an Andujar to the outfield? They did it. Uh, I'm trying to think Chuck of another Nobler. guy. <laughs> and yes. Soriano. Yes. Well, well Soriano, Soriano did it with terrible the everywhere. But um, Ryan no, Braun most recently. Ryan Braun happening. went from third base to uh, left field. It's another another guy that that's done it before. But third and base has definitely gone to the name, outfield. Uh, uh, I just mentioned him 20 minutes ago. Uh, Ian, Ian third, Desmond also third did baseman, it. Third baseman for the Cubs. Chris Bryant. <laughs> Chris Bryant played yeah. third base, played left field in his rookie season. Yep. Uh, Ian Desmond has gone from the outfield. Play, I think he's playing mostly left field now or at the outfield of Colorado. Do I so, think that Andujar could play left field? Yes. But I think that the Yankees would rather have, they have other options in left field that they would go with over Andujar. Maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. Maybe that's maybe if they're looking at if they're. I mean, that's that's an interesting move, honestly, because if they're if they're not signing Gardner and they're trying to um, uh, bring in, uh, you know, they need they need a left fielder, whether it's Frazier or not. Then, you know, if Miggy's an option, if that's if that's a thing, like I, I think that that absolutely could be in play. I don't think it's out of the question to move him to a left field spot. Over or under on outfield assists if he plays left field, point five. <laughs> in a in a year. Yeah, I'll go over just cause over get, because everybody will run on him. <laughs> yeah, he'll have a lot of opportunities. He'll get a couple lucky bounces. 
<clears throat> All right, the next question was from at Hernan underscore Barkello on Twitter. Do you see any team maybe interested in Ellsbury this offseason? Is there a slim chance the Yankees could offload his contract? Do you want to do the honors? <laughs> this is a prayer question. No, there's 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 zero chance. Zero chance. It's negative infinity chance. It's not happening. What's the next question? Uh, next one is from T Walt two four six eight. Why aren't the Yankees using Stanton as a regular left fielder? He seems too young and expensive to already be a DH. He should work on left field the offseason and in spring training. This honestly is another. Uh, it's 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 there. I mean, it's it's absolutely there. It's it's something that could be done, uh, especially like theoretically. Think about this: if Andujar, I'm sorry, if they were to sign Machado, and Andujar wasn't working well at first base, and he's still on the team, and he's DHing. You could absolutely put Stanton in left field. Yeah, you and could, Stanton you could was, switch people around. He was adequate in left field. I don't think they were devastated by Stanton's um, inability to play left field. I think he was pretty average, which is fine. Yeah, and I think he'll only get better. I mean, I think left field, especially at Yankee Stadium, is a um, is a is a hard task. You have to get used to the you know the room out there. There's just so much of it that you definitely have to get used to it. And and you know the the longer you're there, obviously, look at Gardner. Uh, it's like his uh it's like his backyard now he knows he knows every 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 bit of the uh of the land he knows the bounces he knows all these things um but yeah it's something to get used to and and i really do think next year we're going to see a lot of rotation in the outfield anyway we can have um, that yep because see, instead of we're going to see guys at dh and 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 you know stanton's going to play right field and stanton's probably going to play left field and who the hell knows is going to be playing left field if it is frazier they're not going to want him to be out there every single day there's going to be a there's going to be a, some movement in the outfield. So I, I do think he's going to play left field um, a good amount. Maybe Frazier, instead of being the starting left fielder, is the fourth outfielder that plays left and right pretty frequently. Yeah. I mean, that absolutely could happen. If you remember when Hicks was the fourth outfielder, um, you know, he was he was playing five out of seven. Like, if, if you played seven ga- games in a, in a week, you, the fourth outfielder is getting run like five out of seven. Here's a problem, though. Because if they don't re-sign Gardner, which both of us in our offseason plans didn't want, and Ellsbury is MIA, which is a complete possibility, who's the backup center fielder? Uh, it depends on who you... I mean, there, there could be a new signing. It's not like the, everybody's on this team right now. Oh, of course, they could get a new signing, but Hicks also it hasn't been the most durable guy. Right. Frazier has played uh, played uh, not, center. They don't in, want him in center field. Didn't Boone have a comment early in the year about him in center field? It's not something they want to do. I don't remember, but I know that they played him in Scranton in center field, you know, often. He he played center field a couple times. We, he he has the ability to do it. He's athletic enough for sure. So I mean, it it could be something they they work on. But again, like if that if that doesn't happen, they're gonna most likely go out and get somebody. And you maybe, know, maybe um, that guy, maybe Billy Judge Bean goes to willing, center field. Billy Bean willing to give up Dustin Fowler? <laughs> <laughs> Only if the price is right. Only if the price is right. Will he take a pitcher that got pulled from the rotation in August? I mean, eh, he was just more valuable in the bullpen. I wouldn't say pulled from the rotation. Right. Just more valuable in, in the bullpen. <clears throat> All right. Next question is from Greg B at GBout35 on Twitter. Hypothetically speaking here, but let's say David Price closes out the World Series for Boston with a gym. So overall, you could say he had a pretty good season and he got the playoff, uh, bad playoff starter monkey off of his back. If he opts out, does Cashman make a competitive offer to him? 
No, 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 no. This cannot happen. This this certainly cannot happen. Well, he already David, said he didn't want to come to the Yankees because he could uh, didn't want to shave his beard. Uh, fine. Remember he said that when he was a free agent the first time? It kind of it's ringing a bell. The you cannot bring in a guy like David. You can't bring in David Price. Not a guy like David Price. You cannot <laughs> you bring, bring in David you can't Price. Bring in David Price. You cannot do that. You just cannot do that. So no, and, and there's no. I really don't think there's any chance that he opts out. Especially now, he's going to be beloved in Boston. He did close out the ALCS, and I don't know what he's going to do tonight. But even if he pitches mediocre, and even if he just loses, the Red Sox are probably still going to win the World Series in six yeah. or seven. So whatever, he's fine. Yeah, he's been telling you know he's been telling Cora even after he pitched it the other day like that he's he's ready anytime like all these guys are saying they're good like Evaldi threw how many would he throw six innings six. in that long one he yep. he apparently goes the next day he's like I'm good. Evaldi <laughs> just that Evaldi's going to be the game seven starter if it gets there. Yeah, and he'll dominate. That's what will happen. You know <laughs> that he's throwing ninety seven mile hour cutters. You want to know what I think is going to happen? This is yeah. what I think is going to happen in ten Let's years. In ten years, we're going to find out that all these guys with Tommy John surgery had something inserted into their arm. Like seriously, like rookie of the year, there's like a, uh, you know, a band or of some sort. Well, he's had multiple arm. Tommy John. He's surgeries. had two. He's got a bionic arm now. And didn't he this pull, is why I want, this is why I want him blow back. out his UCL or not the, the UCL. Is that in the elbow? I don't even know. Didn't he blow out some elbow ligament too when he was in high school? Didn't have surgery, but sort of recovered from it. I don't know. He's had like two he, and a he half. He had Tommy sur- John Tommy surgery. John I think when he was a junior in high school, I think he had it. In, he like early but in high then school. He had something when he was with the Marlins too. I don't know, but he um, no because he got traded to the Yankees and he was he was all right. Uh, maybe there was the the uh, the Tanaka tear. You know that it's like there, but it's not partial UCL tear. Yeah, apparently that everybody has. And I guarantee if they were to do that, uh, if they were to go and give an MRI on on every major league baseball player, you'd see that same tear uh, of like forty percent of the bigs, maybe even more than that. You know, I'm surprised. I, 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 that, I guarantee it's very common. How can we never hear about quarterbacks having Tommy John surgery? Because they don't throw like they don't throw as much, and it's not as as like high effort. They, I think they throw as much, but it's not as high effort. I don't know if they throw as much. How many? Com- no, because they're There's in no a days, game. They practice a, every day in a game. I understand that, but in a game, they're they're throwing what fifty at most passes. Like that's a lot. Thirty is probably more close to average. Yeah, and some of them are there. None of them are fastballs. Maybe a few of them. I don't yeah, know. Depends. It's, not, it's just not as much stress. All right, stupid comment by me. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, that's what I, my, my conspiracy theory is that there's uh, there's something in the arms. Yeah, they're it's like a cor- it's like some, a corked bat. It's doing a corked some bat. gene splicing or whatever in these elbows. Yeah, yeah, yeah something's going on. These. Yeah, yeah. There's just too many people getting Tommy John now. They, somebody knows something. Mm-hmm. You know who's going to be the new Balco will be Dr. James Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> and Navaldi will be the poster boy like Barry Bonds was. I kind of love this. I actually think this is really going to happen. <laughs> What's the next question? Uh, next one is from Joe. He's at Joseph underscore P seven. Can we address the fact that Chapman was uh, scarily erratic most of the season? He was, he was hurt though. I think that, I think that we had, um, you know, they talked about the, the tendonitis in the knee for a long time. It's, Since June. He, he was talking about it even before that. It was a known thing that he had tendonitis. Uh, but it, it became an issue, it seemed like, that was, that was affecting him at that point. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think he was right all year. And, and this is troubling because I don't think he's... I, I think this is going to happen often. I think we're going to see knee issues with him for the rest of his contract. 
He was so um He ended the season pretty well though. He did. He had the bad stretch when he came back from the injury yeah. and he didn't look right. And I feel like they didn't they never got him into a rhythm. Right. One thing about Chapman was if he didn't pitch for four or five days, he was he was terrible. And I feel you like know, he kept coming and having these long rests. There but there were there were also dictated by the games. I mean there were just so many it was so many weird games. I know it's a fine line you stretch. play. Do I get my closer into a situation to get him regular rest or do I do I save him for the next day because it's a five run lead and I don't want to burn my closer? I understand that dilemma. But don't I mean, like a, Chapman, don't do it all in one game. Don't don't Boone, don't do them all just so you know, don't do it all in one game. Don't get everybody right. don't get everybody prepped in one game, please. What well, what game was that? Wasn't that a Red Sox game? And then it, it didn't it screw him the next day? Yeah, oh yeah, it screwed him for sure. I think it was the Red Sox series where he was just trying to get people work and then and then he needed them and nobody was available. Um, Chapman this year, 51 and a third innings, 33 walks. That's 5.3 walks per nine innings. That's the highest total he's had since 2011, which was his second major league season. That's an insane amount of walks for a reliever. It really is. It's The fact that this guy got the, um, the biggest contract for a reliever, is in, uh, a closer, is insane. Because when you when you run those numbers, like that guy's not a that guy's not a reliever, that guy's a failed starter. <laughs> Do you know what Batances had last year? Per nine very, innings, six point uh, six. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> Jeez, last year? Yeah. Twenty seventeen, Batances. Uh, oh had, yeah. Okay, I believe that. If uh, he had forty four walks in fifty nine innings, which is uh, six point six, and Chapman has been pretty good, um, except this year. I mean, so. The knee is worrisome though, because when you have tendonitis like that, it's it's something that's that's going to linger. It's going to be there. It's not something you can absolutely like go in and cure, right? It's going to be a uh, as you get older and as the knee weakens, the the cartilage will, you know, go away or weaken or whatever the whatever it does. You know, unless you do the Kobe Bryant plasma spinning thing in Germany, and you know it, it all of a sudden regenerates. I, I don't know how that works, but if you could do that, you should do that. Um, it's a re- it was it. a rest thing, right? It was a rest and a pain tolerance thing. So yes, it, what's what's going to pre- prevent it from coming back in in May or June next year? German knee spinning, <laughs> other than German <laughs> knee spinning, what nothing, is nothing. It? This nothing. Is, this is something that, that's his body now. Yeah, it's it's tendonitis doesn't go away like that. It you have to you have to deal with it. It's just something you deal with. Uh, as a matter of like you know, I, I don't know how. He can um, he can learn to manage it with his mechanics. I think that's that's the next step for him as he's getting older. He's going to have to understand that this tendonitis is there, and and when I feel it, how how do I, you know, turn it off and make sure that my mechanics don't get out of whack? Because that's what we see. We see the release point. We see you know whatever the um, whether he's he's landing in a different spot or whatever it is, he can't find the mitt throwing the fastball, and then all of a sudden he's but throwing this throwing this slider. secondary slider. The slider this year crushed. was better than it was in previous years, so maybe that pitch will continue to develop. Yes, it, it, it and it should, but the thing is, is it can't be alone. Number, it can't be on an island. Pitch. It's never also going to be a Dellen Batances slider. No, but it, it, it certainly can't be on an island. Even Batances can't be on an island. He's got to have both pitches. Well, both of those guys work off of each other. Island. It's Mariano Rivera. But they, they work off of each other. They work those pitches work off of each other. So right. they're you know, the um Batances, that that curveball is devastating. And then you have um Chapman who's trying to, you know, get this the slider and it has gotten better, there's no doubt. But when it's your primary pitch, it's not that good. 
It's it's not like it's a it's a it's a tremendous slider if you're talking about guys who have the best sliders. It's a very good slider working off that fastball. It's very good and and it works in tandem. But if you know that he can't throw the fastball for a strike and you're just looking for that fa- the um the slider, they're going to tee off. The Yankees actually have some work to do in that bullpen. We each yeah. had some bullpen moves this offseason, but they're going to need to either acquire via trade or free agency one or two more relievers. Yeah, for sure. It's not as um there's there's question marks definitely with uh with with Chapman now I think is a him being healthy really all season is, is a question mark. Um, you know, which Batances is going to show up. Uh, hopefully those mechanics changes is something that he can carry on long-term and just, you know, uh, and, and roll that into 2019 because he was so good um, at the end of the last year. But yeah, you can't rely on Canely any longer. You just, he's, you just can't rely on that. If he, if he's there, he's then that's, that's gravy. Um, obviously with D-Rob, they have a decision, decision to make there. Uh, and then you know, I think you can you can rely on Chad Green. I think he's a, he's been a dependable bullpen guy that that's uh, that's been effective. Well, not as effective as last year, but still a very effective guy out there. But yeah, they're, they're gonna have to fill a couple spots. All right, last question is from Vinny Ayula. Who is going to have the biggest impact next year? Sheffield, Herman, or Loisica? This is a tough question considering like, there's so many variables here, and everyone wants it to be Sheffield. But who yes. do you think? Could uh, because Herman and Loisica both threw a lot of innings for the Yankees this year, and I saw a lot out of Loisica that I liked. I saw a lot out of Herman that I liked. We were big Herman guys, if you remember. We were diving into those strikeout and swing and miss percentages. Yeah, well, they were impressive. There, I mean, when you look at the numbers on on him and the fact that you know he was missing as many bats as he did, it's just the mistakes would would hurt him. Like he would he would make too many mistakes at, at bad times and, and he would get hurt. But when he was on, I mean, he was definitely one of the bigger swing and miss guys in the league. I mean, in the league, he had numbers that were impressive. So it's, it's kind of puzzling when you see, you know, how badly he would struggle with inconsistency all the time, because when he was good, he was really good. Um, Sheffield's got work to do. I think still with, with his command. I think that's, that's a big deal. I, I really don't see him, um, you know, breaking camp as the fifth starter i know a lot of a people lot want can that. change in spring training i think sure. he is going to be in the fifth starter competition so i think uh, they'll pick the guy who's pitching best yeah um if we're talking about the biggest impact next year if i were to gamble on one of these guys i would actually say herman um i, I think that i'm not as high on sheffield honestly as a lot of people are <laughs> and uh, you know whether uh, i just uh, by looking at him uh and just the way that he throws I'm just not as high on him uh, for whatever reason. Uh, Herman, I think, can play long term. He's got to f- clean up some of his 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 stuff. And Loisaga, I think they want to start in the minors. I don't, and, and we'll see how he develops. But I think he's uh, a little bit further away because Loisaga had really good control and walk numbers in the minors. I could actually see him playing in the bullpen this year. Yeah, that could ha- it could be like a, a Chad Green thing, right? Yeah, we could see him uh, going in there. I could see that. But Herman, to me. Herman has, um, he's he's very close. You know, he's I I, I, I it feels like he's very close because uh, we to, saw to flashes of it multiple yeah. times last year, and I've seen it in the major leagues. And I mean, granted, I haven't seen it from Sheffield, but Sheffield really does have work to do with his his command because his command is not good. Yeah, swing and miss stuff, swing and misses is not flukes. Right, exactly. And we saw what happened with Chance Adams. Chance Adams couldn't fix the command issues, and now he's not even talked about. Like he came up when the when the rosters expanded at some point and you know, he, he pitched a, a, 
uh, I'd say a, a courageous game in in Fenway Park. Like, but that had, was actually he got a spot start in that. Yeah, that he uh, was in a he dist- was in a very tough situation. But he got a start in that August weekend. That. Uh, destruction of a weekend he got that saturday game if i remember correctly yeah that's right. like five solid innings yeah but that was before the rosters expanded then he came up again and who the hell knows but when you're talking about when you're talking about like prospects and 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 guys that you know the the club is big on like certainly i don't think they're they're as big on chance adams as they as they were last year oh Um, hell no because he he, but sheffield they still are sheffield's still on the prospect boards so for sure if they're not high on him internally i think you could get somebody to you could use him as a trade asset where I don't think Chance Adams is much of a trade asset at this point. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. And so to to that extent, like he absolutely is high on their list. I mean, he's their their number one prospect at this point. Like he's but he's got to fix the command issues. You can't come to the big leagues with command issues like that. You just can't. You gotta you, know, you gotta control the strike zone. Going back to the bullpen, you know who we forgot about and who will be healthy again this year is Ben Heller. He could play in the bullpen. Yeah, will he? He had Tommy John surgery in the middle of the year. He missed no, not in the middle of the year. He missed all of last season. I think he got hurt in spring training. Was it? I thought it was like May or June. Was it earlier I'm than that? Googling well, Ben Heller surgery right now. Okay, but April seventh. Yeah. Okay, it was earlier than I remembered. It was into the season though. So the season had just begun. Yep. Uh, he'll be close to coming back if maybe. But he was borderline, uh, big league bullpen. Last yeah. year, oh, his stuff is 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 really good. So, uh, uh, he could, if he's healthy, play in the bullpen. Yeah, I, it seems like that. That sounds like a little early, though. Um, okay, maybe not somebody. in April, but what about June? Yeah, no, what into the May year, or June. No, absolutely, he could be a he could be a guy that that we could see. Uh, you know, if they if everybody stays, uh, Domingo Herman could be a guy that they that they look at for the bullpen too. I mean, he's another guy who throws you know uh, triple digits uh, that that has. Uh, the possibility to be a, an effective bullpen guy too. So there's guys that can be, I think, um, incorporated from within for sure. Uh, but we'll see what they do on the trade market. But of this, I don't know. Sheffield man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just for whatever reason, I'm a little wary of of him. Well, wait a, and the podcast with a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they traded him. To tell you the truth, I wouldn't I mean, be if surprised they, if, if they trade if they yeah. trade uh, him or Andujar. Yeah. I would, and, I, and, and I think if they trade Andujar, then Machado's a Yankee. That's the only way. That's the only way. Yeah, I think that's the only way. But I don't not, think any, I, it's, we also got a question which I didn't do about what is Clint Frazier's future, and I don't see his future being traded this offseason because he has no value. I wouldn't say he has no value, but his value is certainly down. I would not trade him now because you're not going to get the value that you should for him. Right, that's correct. You're definitely not. There's no doubt about it. Floreal, you could say the same thing. Because he's coming off of an injury, um, you know he's playing in uh, Arizona currently. Uh, that's something. So he's healthy. If you want to and wait and see on him, though. I'm fine with that. Like just yeah, let him progress. At the same time, I don't think anybody's untouchable right now. I really don't. I'm getting that. I'm getting that sense that Ninja nobody's Brian untouchable. Cashman is going to strike. I just, I just feel like he. This Nobody team is in the minors are ready untouchable. to win. There's. There are yeah. major league players who are. Oh yeah, 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 in the minors. There's, there's. This team is is ready to go, and there are so there are other teams around right now that are are like very, very top heavy with talent, um, and they have to compete. And I think Cashman's going to look around. He identifies that, um, and he's gonna. There's going to be a, a move because could you think about how devastating it would be if they had this core and you know we're waiting and waiting and then just. You know, never in a season they would put it together, and they had the opportunity to to strike when you know it, it felt like the team was ready. 
Uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, he's gonna he's gonna make a move. Yeah, that's what he usually does. So <laughs> expect the unexpected with him. <laughs> no All moves. right, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, thank you to everybody who submitted mailbag questions. Again, go to bronxpinstripes.com. Email us your questions. Scott, any last words? No, I don't have any last words. There's zero last words coming from me. I really, really hope that when you guys are listening to this, there is still uh, hope for the Dodgers to win the World Series. That's that's the only uh, that's my only hope going into this. So you did have last words. Those are my last words. All right. And these are my last words. Talk to you guys next week. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.